Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hello, my lovely friends. Welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. We are continuing our birth series and what birth series would be complete without talking about the fourth trimester or the postpartum window. There's so much emphasis in our culture to focus on getting pregnant. And then we're reading all the books on how to be healthy and balanced through pregnancy. And then we are busy preparing for labor and we're working with a practitioner and we're thinking about our birth plan and what we do and don't wanna consent to in birth. And there's so much going on that sometimes the postpartum period gets almost completely forgotten or overlooked. I hear this so often from my community, my friends, my sisters, and women like you on Instagram who share that they really didn't know what to expect postpartum. They kind of expected to have this adorable, squishy little baby, but they didn't really have the awareness of what else this phase can include, like the pain or the swelling or the low energy or the adjustments to a new sleep schedule and a little baby that needs you for everything and breastfeeding. There's so many pieces that we're not taught. And so the postpartum window can feel especially overwhelming and very, very foreign. And then let's just sprinkle in a cultural belief that you need to bounce back, fit back in your old leggings as soon as possible, get back out and doing everything. (laughs) And sadly, this all becomes a ticking time bomb for feeling a lot of postpartum depression, anxiety, inadequacy, fears, and deep-rooted struggles. This is the sad reality for a lot of mamas. So as you can see, it was really important to me to ensure that we have a conversation about the postpartum window or the fourth trimester. And I was really excited to meet Kelsey Ludvigson, who is a postpartum educator, a visionary, and a mama of two babies in Denmark. Her mission is to revolutionize the way we show up for postpartum culture and motherhood through evidence-based research mixed with traditional wisdom and self-care so that a community of mothers emerge feeling empowered, healed, and celebrated. Yeah, with a bio like that, you know, (laughs) this episode's going to be really good. In today's episode, we talk about what postpartum really is. We talk about rest and the 40-day window. We talk about real barriers to access to rest during the postpartum window, whether that is a mama is needing to go back to work sooner than later, or she simply lacks community support. We talk about postpartum depression, when a period may return, and so much more. So I hope you love today's episode and get some wisdom from it. And be sure to share this with any mama in your life who needs these messages and these reminders to listen to her body and trust herself above all else. Hi, Kelsey. I am so excited to have you on the podcast because I think so much energy and prep goes into pregnancy and birth and the fourth trimester slash that postpartum phase is sadly almost completely forgotten about. And creating this healing and supportive postpartum experience is really important to me with my first baby and to so many mamas. So I can't wait to learn from you today. How are you? Thank you, Cassandra, for having me. I'm doing well. I'm uh, 
I'm uh, yeah, just getting out of a uh, cold, but I'm excited to be recording this with you today. And hopefully my two babies will sleep through this. <laughs> we'll hold the, the whole division so that they yeah. let us talk. <laughs> you have a really beautiful story, but I want to hear more from you and why you decided to become a postpartum educator and doula. Yeah, thank you. I kind of always wanted to work with something around birth. I thought I wanted to be a birth doula for a really long time. Um, At the time I was a yoga teacher and had my own studio in Oslo. And um, when I finally did give birth and have my baby, I sat there in the depth of my postpartum and thought, nope, birth doula is not my thing. I need to be a postpartum doula. Like this, Mm -hmm. this is where the the work, um, the work is, I think, I mean, even though I had a really long labor with my first, it was 27 hours from first contraction till she came out, it ended, you know, and the postpartum period, you know, we can kind of break it up. There's the acute or the immediate postpartum. And then there is the longer postpartum and immediate postpartum is what we know today as like the fourth trimester, or even just the first six weeks. Um, and so, yeah, it, so I just realized that that's where um, my work needed to be. It was longer than those 27 hours of labor. You know, it was really, I think I took my first deep breath at six months postpartum. And then it wasn't until a year after, like, that I actually came up really for air, you know, and I was like, okay, I can actually leave leave and do things. And I'm starting to find out who I am, like, what am I going to do? And, um, it was a really big awakening for me and it really pivoted my career. I don't teach yoga anymore. I mean, I was six months into my postpartum when COVID hit. So that changed a lot. I think how a lot of people work. Um, but I just realized I needed to be in the postpartum world. So yeah. Incredible. It's so refreshing to hear this and informational too, for people like me that are listening that are new moms or soon to be new moms. And Mm. there's such a culture of like wanting to bounce back and get back to your old self. And to hear that, honestly, it can be a year before you really feel maybe like you are like reacquainted with your body and really kind of getting the hang of this motherhood is kind of like, whoa, nobody's nobody says that. Yeah. And, you know, studies are showing today that it takes, it takes people, you know, up to two years to feel like themselves again. I mean, I really don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of sticky around that, like feel like ourselves again, we're never the same person. Um, I just remember that in this, I just, um, I gave birth three months ago to my second daughter. And I just remember during that pregnancy with her, I missed so much the naive and kind of ignorant pre-motherhood Kelsey, you know, from three years ago, I was like, God, I wish I was like her right now because I'm not her. Even in the second pregnancy, I'm not her. And, and right now in my second postpartum, I look at, you know, second time pregnant Kelsey and I'm like, God, I wish I could go back to her, you know, there's like, you, you meet so many different phases and stages of yourself. And, um, yeah, so it's really hard to say, like, if, you know, to be, you know, to come back to yourself because we really never come back. And I think that's a 
that's a good thing. And that's what's supposed to happen when we go, when we move through a life initiation or, you know, uh, it's a huge transition in our life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a total evolution. And like you're saying, it's, it's kind of healing to let one part of ourselves die. So another part can bloom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, um, I was, this is a slight tangent, but I was bitten by a snake, uh, 10 years ago when I lived in South Africa. And so I've kind of always been really interested in like snake metaphors and just like facts about snakes. And they say that when a snake is shedding its skin, so going through a transition, it goes temporary blind. And Hmm. that is how I feel about the, you know, even just the transition in labor, Like all of a sudden you're in this liminal space and then we have this transitionary period again in the postpartum, but it's, it's longer than, you know, transition that we have in our actual labor, but is this, we have to go through this phase that's super uncomfortable and we go temporarily blind to like what we know and what we feel. And we have to go through that to be able to come out on the other end. And yeah. Whoa, that's a really powerful example. Truly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you, you have to just go within and trust the process. You can't navigate your way out of it. You just have to be in it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's um, one of the things that is hard for our generation as mothers is we have so much more information than our mothers had. Like we have everything at our fingertips and it can be from anything. Like if you want to be pro breastfeeding and all the things you can find the exact information, the exact groups that can support you. But if you want to be bottle feeding, you'll find the groups for that. And so there's something about like when we have all this information at our fingertips, we trust Google more than ourselves and our intuition. And (laughs) that's something, yeah, that's something that we've, I I think we've lost in our generation. And, you know, when we go through this liminal phase of our lives, becoming a mother, we sometimes think we can Google our way out of it (laughs) and we can't. And we just have to be like, all right, I'm going to put, you know, the Facebook groups, the mommy groups and, and all the information, all the books, I had to put that all to the side and be like, okay, what do I need? What do a baby need that you have to really turn in and you have to go blind, you know, metaphorically to the outside world to actually go through this transition. Cause I think that's what's happening right now is the same thing in our generation is we have a lot of dysregulated and, um, kind of what's the word I'm looking for, like disjointed and, and, and mothers walking through life right now, feeling lost because they don't fully go through the transition because they're always looking outwards. And so we're, we're living in a, in a community of mothers that don't feel connected to themselves or their mothering intuition because they've never turned inwards and actually faced that liminal transition period that is the postpartum. Oh, I have chills. I'm like, tell us more, Kelsey. Because <laughs> um, that's what I was just about to ask you is, can you outline what postpartum means, you know, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all the things, and then maybe also highlight how the unfortunately common approach to postpartum isn't giving us the space to heal. And then we wonder why, like you're saying at 18 months postpartum, we feel frail and frazzled and like, we don't even know who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you'll have to repeat the questions <laughs> as we go through because I my my brain is doing some severe pruning at the moment. It's, you know, they call it mom brain, but we it's actually um a huge leap that I'm going through <laughs> in my brain. And so some things kind of go out. But um what I want do you want to start with is like for first time pregnant um, mothers, as we move through this, we really look at, I feel like we, and from when I talk to clients and I just remember from my own experience is when we look at the postpartum period, we think of it as just a physical experience. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're going to be recovering physically from the birth. Um, And that's another thing is I tell my clients that the first six weeks of your postpartum, you're recovering from birth. The rest of the year or the next nine months, you're recovering from your pregnancy Mm. physically. Like there is, you are not done at six weeks. Um, But there is this huge focus on that postpartum is a very physical experience, but I have had two very different postpartum experiences. Now, my first one, I was, did not feel physically strong for at least a year after my first um, pregnancy or after my first birth. Um, with this one, my second one, within weeks, I felt strong. Um, so, you know, it's very different for every woman that comes out. And I think that has a lot to say about the birth because my, I had two very different births, but um, yeah. So I think what we need to remember and what we need to talk about more in our social circles and with other women is how the postpartum period is also very, like you said, like a spiritual experience. It's a emotional experience and it's a very like mental experience as well. You're in your head a lot. Unfortunately, I wish I could say I was like more embodied, but you're Mm. very much in your head because you're in, you're in fight or flight a lot because you're trying to figure out like the cues of your baby. And you're trying to also, if your body's in pain, which or just uh, recovering from birth, you're going to be in a, some form of fight or flight because you've got to, you know, get the body back into regulation. So postpartum is so much more than like you, you mentioned, like the bouncing back. And I've, I've seen some people start saying like, let's bounce forward. And I'm kind of like, let's bounce back into bed um, because <laughs> that's where we need to be in those first early weeks. Um, and you know, and definitely in the second postpartum, I'm, I'm 15 weeks postpartum now. So three months I'm honoring getting into bed at six o'clock at night, maybe with my baby and going to bed with her or taking a day nap with her in bed and just like spending at least, you know, a tiny bit more time in bed because I know what's coming. I know what's ahead. She's going to start crawling and walking and everything. And there's not going to be much rest for me. So, Yeah. It's incredible to hear how different you've even felt postpartum with your two different babies. And I'm assuming your first then was maybe more like a medicalized birth and your second was more physiological. Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, yeah. You know what? My first birth was not in a hospital and my second birth was, which is really, yeah, I know. I know. It's yeah. It's super interesting. Um, I had planned for a home birth for the second one, but, um, while I was in labor, I, I tested positive for GBS and my husband, I had already planned it out and they don't do routine um, testing here. It's only once you start labor, if you've Mm -hmm. had signs. Um, but with my first birth, um, she was, uh, what do you call it in, in Norwegian? it's stargazer. So it's, um, OP 
I think so. It's when they are, your, their spine is to your spine. Um, what is the word in, so they're, they're turned the wrong way in the womb. I cannot uh-huh. think of the word right, but it, in, in Norwegian, it's, it's a, a posterior birth. That's it. I had a posterior birth with my first daughter and those are um, known to be uh, very hard and long and she did not descend. So, I mean, she descended, it was a 27 hour labor and she descended the last 15 minutes and then she just shot out. Um, But it was a really grueling, grueling, grueling labor. Um, And my body, I mean, I felt those aches and pains in my postpartum. Like, I just remember crying to my husband those days after I was like, are you sure no one came in and beat me with a bat? Like, I don't understand why, like my calves hurt or like my fingers, like, this is weird. Um, And then I really expected that for the second birth because I thought, well, that was the first one. I thought I'm going to have those body aches again. And I didn't have that at all. My second birth now with my daughter was five hours from start to finish. So it was a very fast birth. Um, and because it was such a fast birth, I had a really, really quick recovery recovery. It was really incredible for me to experience both because I had a lot of debilitating postpartum pain with my first. And I think that had, um, a huge effect on how and why I got postpartum anxiety and to a certain degree depression, um, because I was just in so much pain and a lot of studies are coming out now that are showing, um, that postpartum pain, past the birth and past the first six weeks has a huge effect on women and their perinatal or their post postpartum moods. I so, so believe that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I it, definitely, I mean, I really experienced it on like an embodied level after the second, the second postpartum and, you know, because I just thought, wow, I feel so good in my body. I did not feel this way until like a year after my first. Mm-hmm. And that's what is so shocking to me. I don't know how it is in Norway, but you know, in the States, some women have to go back to work in six weeks, like six weeks. And it just, it breaks my heart that Mm -hmm. it's that way for so many women, um, more than break my heart, it boils my blood, honestly, but Yeah. yeah, like how, even if, you know, they were given four months or six months, like you said, if you've had a really intense birth where you mm-hmm. are in pain and you you do have postpartum depression or anxiety, or mm-hmm. you're just not feeling great, how can we expect women to function in, you know, motherhood and a career and all the other things and roles that women tend to have on their shoulders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, uh, my heart breaks. I think I read there was a statistic that was like at two weeks postpartum, it was like 14% of women in the United States go back to work. Two weeks? Two weeks. Yeah. 14%. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh it my was, God. Yeah. And when I read that, I was four weeks and I was like, I haven't even left my bed. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it breaks my heart because at six weeks, I mean, here in, in, um, I'm Norwegian, but I live in Denmark and, um, it's very similar in Denmark and Norway, but in Denmark, you don't go for your checkup until you're eight weeks. Like they're like, we don't even want to see you until you're eight weeks. Hmm. Um, and even at eight weeks, like when my, my midwife did the checkup on me, she was like, oh yeah, I can see that you definitely gave birth eight weeks ago. Like you are still swollen and all the things. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, and they, and they say that 
it takes about, what is it like 10 weeks because your vaginal walls pretty much atrophy after you give birth. Um, and it takes about 10 weeks for that vaginal tissue to regenerate itself. Um, and so that's just like the vaginal wall. Then we've got the uterus and we've got our breasts that are, you know, women breastfeeding is a huge thing. We don't witness women um, breastfeeding um, as much. And so when all of a sudden we're given this baby and then expected to just, it's not natural. Like it's, it's not like, I mean, it is natural. I'm sorry, but what I mean is like, it's not, um, it doesn't come naturally to us. I think it's something when we don't see women in our culture or in our families, like we don't live in extended families anymore, that all of a sudden we're like, wait, what's this? Like we, I, I was told like, oh, it'll just happen. It took a lot of practice. It's a lot of practice. And so we've just got a lot of things going on and that's still going on at six, seven, eight, nine weeks postpartum. And then with these women that have to go back to work, um, I don't even know. I mean, like I said, like my brain just feels mushy <laughs> and I'm 15 weeks and I don't know how um, women go back to work and have to hold, string a sentence together. Like that, I'm surprised I'm being able to speak on this podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Cozy Earth. If you're like me and live for a good night's sleep, these sheets will change your life. Made from super soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics, it is softer than cotton and has been on Oprah's favorites list four years in a row. I've used Cozy Earth sheets personally for almost a year and I will never go back to any other brand. Besides being the softest sheets I've ever used, they're also temperature regulating and Cozy Earth even offers a 100 night sleep test. That means you can try their sheets for 100 days and if you don't love it, send it back and get a full refund. Your bedroom should feel like a sanctuary and your sleep is sacred. And that's why I believe it's so important to create a bedroom environment that feels cozy, comfortable, and relaxing. Right now, you can take 40% off of your Cozy Earth order with code GODDESSPODCAST. Just go to CozyEarth.com, find your favorite set of sheets, and use code GODDESSPODCAST to save 40%. And be sure to send me a message on Instagram and let me know if you're as obsessed as I am. Yeah, it's heartbreaking that some women financially are forced essentially to go back. Um, but I think there's another side to it, which is interesting. There are, I think, some women that just feel like they want to, or um, I, I kind of want to touch on the women that struggle to be in the rest period, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, the 40 days where some cultures said that that 40 days, you know, ideally, yeah, you're literally in bed with baby, just bonding and healing. And even some of my most holistic friends in theory, love that idea. But by two and a half weeks, they're like up cleaning the house. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they just don't <laughs> literally know how to rest and yeah. receive. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where like the work that you do lays the groundwork for postpartum work because it is our menstrual cycle that like becomes the altar for our postpartum. If we're not resting when we're bleeding on our menstrual cycle and we're not honoring those couple days of resting just a little bit extra, you know, around work or whatever life is happening, then how are we, you know, that's the thing is I see all these clients, all my clients are like, I'm going to do the full 40 days. And I'm like, um, when you had your period before you got pregnant, 
what were you doing around your bleeding time? Were you resting? Were you like making bone broth? Like, how are you taking care of yourself? Oh, I've, I've never even thought I, I don't slow down at all. I'm, I'm at the gym. I'm doing, you know, oh, no. my, you know, my spinning classes while my first day of my period. And I'm like, you're going to have a really hard time for those first 40 days because you haven't had that embodied experience of honoring when I'm bleeding, I need to rest. And that's what we're doing the first, for some of us, the first six weeks. And also you know, postpartum bleeding varies. It's been normalized that you can bleed for six weeks. Um, honestly, from the studies that I've read and from just midwives I've talked to is that um, really, if you're resting fully, you can be done bleeding after two weeks. And then you need to use your bleeding as a gauge for how much, how, if you're doing too much. So for people that are bleeding still at six, eight weeks pregnant, you're doing way too much. Your womb is literally saying, stop, rest. Um, and so, I mean, I really, I kind of stopped them. I had a, for my firstborn, I stopped bleeding after two weeks. And then at nine weeks postpartum, I started bleeding again. And I thought I got in my period and I was fully breastfeeding, like, you know, on demand and everything. I thought this is so weird, but I realized I'd gone for a really long walk that day. And that had triggered my, my Mm. womb to bleed again, like as much as a period, like I thought I was on my first day of my period and then it stopped the next day. And that, that was my, you know, and then I didn't really get my period until six months later, but it was just a really big eye opener for me. And so I think like there's, it's very in right now, but I can see that people are like, I'm going to do the the first 40 days. I'm going to do all of it in bed. And if you don't have that, that habit or that ritual or that routine of actually honoring your bleeding time to your menstrual cycle, you're going to have a really hard time in your postpartum. And and what happens eventually is that all of a sudden, I I have these clients, we do check-ins afterwards and and they're like, I failed my first 40 days because I didn't rest. I'm like, they're almost setting themselves up for failure, you know? And then they're putting that on top of everything else that they're learning in motherhood. Um, And so we don't need to add in that kind of guilt or that failure. So yeah, I think... um, I love that those books are coming out and we're talking about it, but if, yeah, if we don't honor it during our menstrual cycle, how are we going to honor it in our postpartum? Mm -hmm. It's a really great, really great, great way to look at it. Um, Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of women as a whole just feel like it's, you know, better to just push through and to do more. And yeah, if we have that mentality, in our life, how can we expect that then suddenly magically when we birth a baby, we're going to be like, just kidding. I can be yin and rest and Mm -hmm. let my partner, my community clean my home and bring me food. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, if if we're the hustle kind of woman, we'll be crawling out of our skin, I'm sure by like 10 days postpartum. Yeah. I mean, even before that, I think for some, you know, yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I see that with um, some of the people I work with. And, and I think also, you know, with these 40 day cultures, they're stemming from cultures that have the setup with the support. Like they have the mother-in-law or the mother that literally moves in with them, or they have the sister that comes and supports them or all the friends that are dropping by. Um, And I really want to um, say that 
I don't think the 48 days are possible without a community or support, really, really, you know, vast support network. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I think there's also, you know, I think eventually it's going to be, it's going to come up soon, but I think, you know, it was really big, especially when I had my yoga studio about just like a cultural appropriation. Um, I think that's going to start, it's already there in, in postpartum work. I'm kind of like, all right, well, what did your, the mothers and grandmothers in your lineage, how did they treat their postpartum? What did they do in their postpartum? What, you know, how long did they rest or what did rest look like for them or what foods did they eat? And really getting curious about like, well, what did my, my ancestors do rather than us always trying to kind of like, you know, cherry pick from all the other cultures, which is, you know, fine to a certain extent, but really um, focusing also on just getting curious about like, all right, what did my ancestors do? Because, you know, when I, I, in my first postpartum, I had that idea too, that I would do the 40 days, but I had no, I I live in Denmark. I have no family here. We had moved to Denmark a month before I gave birth. So no friends. Um, So I really, put that expectation on my husband, like that is not fair. And I think that's what a lot of women are doing is they're putting that expectation on their partners um, or their mother or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. I think it's so key to highlight these barriers. Like you're saying, like the, the first barrier of some women literally have to go back to work. And then the next barrier where we, you know, as women, we're kind of bred to not have close connections or to be more isolated than we maybe Mm -hmm. would have been traditionally. And it is so hard because yeah, I'd love to do a whole podcast and say like, Hey, everybody stay in bed for a month. Mm -hmm. But I, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's so hard because I know that's not possible. Like you said, unless there is that community, they're the friends that want to do the meal train, or like you said, your mom or your sister can come stay with you for a few weeks. And, and that's heartbreaking that not all women just innately get to have that. Yeah. It's the, yeah, it's the community and it's the paid leave (laughs) because how are you going to fully heal and recover if you're back at work? I mean, even just those women that go back at two weeks, but at six weeks, I mean, I don't know. Um, and I think, and six weeks is 40 days. And so of course, like if a woman has to go back to work at six weeks, she's not going to want to stay in bed for six weeks. She's going to want to definitely get out and do things before then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so yeah, there's a lot of barriers to, I, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's not having the leave, the paid leave. It's not, um, having the support. And I think it's this, it's again, it's the bouncing back. And I think it's also this like proving ourselves like, oh, I can leave and go sit at a cafe with my two day old baby. Like that's, that's not what your baby needs. And it's definitely not what you need. Um, but there's this, um, I see it on social media, you know, where people have to prove that they're, um, that they can do it that they can do it all. They can give birth, be postpartum, wear white pants, and then go out on day three with their newborn baby and it's sleeping, you know? And I think, well, a lot of things I'm realizing in the second postpartum is that you're like, there's things, you know, and, and I love, there's so much information out there right now about postpartum planning. I mean, you can 
Pinterest, Google, Instagram, everywhere. It's everywhere, which is great. And, but there's only so many padsicles and nipple cream that you can have (laughs) until you realize, oh, I've used up all those things and I'm still postpartum. And I think it's, you know, what I'm realizing right now is that it's your baby's temperament. Um, That's a, that is a huge, your baby's temperament impacts your postpartum. Your birth impacts your postpartum. Your attachment style impacts your postpartum. Um, All of those things impact your postpartum beyond however much postpartum planning you do. Um, And I think what postpartum planning needs to encompass are those factors. Like start start reading up on baby temperament, start reading up on, um, you know, natural and normal baby sleep. That's a huge trigger for moms. Um, Read up on postpartum hormones, like normalize all those things. Um, That needs to be a part of postpartum planning. It can't just be the things that we buy and put in our baskets and carts and everything. Mm -hmm. It needs to be um, so much more than that. Yeah. It sounds like really managing expectations, like kind of like fully knowing what's about to happen. Like you said, with baby sleep cycles and things so that we're not frustrated when baby's up three times in the night. Instead, we have already the awareness that like, this is normal. They do need to eat every two to three hours and everything's okay. Yeah. I, um, I'd heard horror stories from friends about nighttime. Like it's the worst. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be a zombie, but daytime's the best. Like babies sleep all the time and blah, blah. Um, and my daughter, yeah, she was up, you know, every couple hours to feed, but I mean, it was just, I, it was like, it was already normalized for me that it was going to be hard. And I just, I didn't find it hard. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm up every two hours and I breastfed her during the night and to sleep for two years. Um, but it was just, I just had that in the back of my head, like, it's going to be long. I'm going to be tired. And it, and it was fine, but it was daytime sleep that really tripped me up because my baby did not sleep during the day. She did not sleep three hours. She slept 20 minutes at a time. Um, and that's where I, all of a sudden my, my experience or what I thought was normal baby sleep, um, did not match up with my daughter. Um, which is a huge shame because I had such bad anxiety because of that. And I know that if I, someone had sat me down and been like, Kelsey, this is normal. Some babies only sleep for 20 minutes and that's normal. I wish someone had told me that, but no one had said that. Um, And I, yeah, like I said, severe anxiety about around her sleep during the day. Mm -hmm. Well, you're being Mm -hmm. the the angel right now, who's just getting that little nugget out there to some mama (laughs) somewhere who is feeling exactly how you did. And is like, Oh my God, thank you. I didn't know that's normal. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Oh my gosh. I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. have you heard this? This is changing gears just slightly, but I hadn't um, heard this before, but they say that how much we rest or how much we're just able to enjoy that cup, you know, six weeks or so, or that fourth trimester directly impacts the regularity of our future menstrual cycles, our libido Mm. and pleasure, and also can be correlated to cases of postpartum depression. Like that just floored me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I haven't heard that exact, like, um, those exact words, but I've heard something about that to that extent, um, of just, you know, there's that whole, like, 
your 42 days dictate the next 42 years. And then I think it's Kimberly Johnson that says something about, um, you know, how we take care of ourselves in the fourth trimester um, impacts our vitality and is something like that. And for the, for the years to come. And I think that's so, so true. I, you know, I mean, there's that book that came out like postnatal depletion, like those are the books that are coming out right now because we're not resting and because we're not taking care of ourselves. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot to it. Um, and I think, you know, just with the whole rest thing, there has been studies about um, a couple decades ago in Nepal, um, women rice pickers, and um, they would give birth and immediately go back into the fields and put their babies in like a little carrier and strap them to them. And this one community had one of the highest numbers of, of uh, uterine prolapses. And at first when, you know, the community doctors were finding this and seeing this, they were like, why do all these women, why do all these women, once they hit menopause, you know, their estrogen um, plummets, why on earth are they all of a sudden having uterine pro prolapses? And they realized they were looking all of a sudden at the women that were in their twenties <laughs> giving birth and then going right into going right back to work. And we rest in our postpartum so that we can thrive in our menopausal years. Mm. And I, so we are, we are resting for our future self. And, you know, there's a, there's been a couple studies and just a lot of stories, I think about women who are in um, senior care homes, who majority of them have to wear diapers because of incontinence and because of prolapse issues. Um, and when you talk to them, it's because they, they didn't value or, or, or know about postpartum. It also wasn't a culturally kind of probably accepted thing um, for our grandmothers at the time. Um, but we've and I think that's really hard. I think, you know, we have like a generation of people also who are like not investing or saving for retirement because they're like, you know, YOLO. I don't even know if people say that anymore, but you know, <laughs> it's like, we only live once. So I'm going to use my money now. I'm not going to save it for retirement. And then they get to retirement and they're screwed. And so that's the same generation is that's what they're doing to their, to their uterine ligaments and organ organs right now is that they're not resting in their postpartum and then they come to menopausal years and then they're like oh shoot <laughs> I need that special underwear or I need that operation um or I need to wear a diaper mm -hmm. and so we are resting and taking care of our future self because I want to be 80 years old and thriving like you know that's that's what I I that is my I'm going to be a crone and I'm going to be just <laughs> feeling young and sprightly. <laughs> yes. Looking like this gorgeous silver haired <laughs> goddess. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really powerful. You know, we hear about that with ovulation, like the more you ovulate in your reproductive years, the more benefit that we'll have in menopause. But I hadn't heard that about the postpartum window mm -hmm. and how that too can either come back to nourish you or come back to bite you. Oh yeah. It comes back to bite you. <laughs> and that's what we're seeing with women in 
senior care homes today. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a generation of women in this age group now who were not resting. Yeah. Um, because I can tell I, I, I'm half American, half Norwegian. So I can tell you my American grandmother did not rest. <laughs> um, my Norwegian grandmother actually, um, there's, it's really interesting in Norway because it's interesting to compare the two, especially when um, with that generation, but my Norwegian grandmother, um, they were the last generation to have home births. And then it was my mother's generation. My mom's American, but so it was my mother's generation then that started having hospital births. And we continue, there's 0.05% of women have home births in Norway now. I mean, it's kind of crazy how it just went from, really just took two generations. But um, my grandmother was in like, um, it was like a birthing center, like a home, kind of like a birthing clinic that she went to, it wasn't a hospital. And then she was there for two weeks. And she talked about the food that she was given and like how it was like pour, like a rice porridge with lots of stewed dark fruits. And it was just such like a beautiful story and image for me to have, but that it went from like 14 days. And now in Scandinavia, you get sent home after four hours after mm. being every, after giving birth. And so how just one generation can really change like drastically with how we a look at birth and the postpartum. And how greedy people oh, are where they're like, we don't yeah. need you here for two weeks. Go home. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Wow. But that, that is a beautiful picture just to imagine yeah. what that could have been like. And the stark difference that unfortunately most women have where yeah. it is. Uh, yeah. Here's your baby. Yeah. Here's yeah. a wheelchair. Get in your car. Go. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Figure out breastfeeding on the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Honestly, best yeah. of luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd love to hear what kind of uh, advice or guidance you'd give to say a mama who's pregnant, who does want to honor her postpartum period as much as possible, but mm-hmm. doesn't really know how to ask her partner or her community how to help her, you know, what would be really valuable for her to know, to set herself up, to be cared for and nourished. Yeah. I'm super big on empowering the community around the mothers on how to show up. So I like that question a lot for partners. I would definitely say, sit down with your partner and be like, what are they, what's really important for us? Um, You know, what can we outsource? What do we want to do ourselves? Um, What do we have the finances for? I mean, it's a lot like, what do we have the finances for and who do we have for support? Um, But your partner is going to be forever grateful for a freezer full of meals. Um, you know, and, and sit down and, and you know, it, it, I talk a lot about um, comparing the postpartum to like the a marriage or a wedding, but um, you know, when you, you're going to plan your wedding, it's like, okay, what are the top three things we want to spend the money on? And I think the same thing needs to happen in the postpartum. Um, and so what are the top three things that are most important for you that you want to, if you have the finances to spend that on, and if you don't have the finances, who, who can you bring in to help you? And I would share with your partner, um, you know, the facts about how, uh, why we need to rest, 
you know, I mean, literally your placenta is detached. You've built, created, not built, but you've created this organ in your body and it detaches from your uterus. And then you are bleeding from that wound for weeks and weeks and weeks. That is why we rest. And when we give our partners these kind of facts and these visuals, it helps them to be like, hey, what are you doing getting out of bed? Get back in bed. That wound is still open. <laughs> um, and I, so I think it's really important to kind of give these kind of facts. And there's a really great study that happened in Canada where um, they did one group were um, partners and um, had a kind of like a baby class where they learned how to do baby massages. And then the other group learned about the postpartum and what to expect. And then they um, followed up with them for about two years after, I think it was. And it was just very obvious which group had a higher rate of postpartum depression and anxiety. And it was the group of people that learned baby massage. And so when we involve our partners and we educate them on a postpartum realistic expectations about the postpartum and also about our own physical recovery, um, we have a better chance of not falling into postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, and so involving our partner is super important. So giving them the facts, like, you know, giving them facts like that um, and telling them like how important our nutrient needs are. We, our nutrient needs are higher in the postpartum than when we are pregnant, which is mm. really wild to some people because we kind of think we need the best prenatal when we're pregnant and we need to be eating the best diet ever when we're pregnant. And then when we're postpartum, we can just, you know, we go back to whatever we were doing before, but actually we need to be doing that plus more um, and still take, you know, and, and, and still thinking about uh, having a nutrient dense diet and it doesn't end once the baby comes out. Mm. Um, so educating our partner on that. And then for family, um, for family and friends, I, 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 when I worked with American clients, and I've asked, oh, are you going to do a meal trainer? They, it's always, yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't I? Um, and I think that's a cultural thing because when I ask my clients here in Scandinavia, they're like, oh gosh, no, I never ask my mother to make me a, a soup. Like she could never do that. So luckily, um, I love hearing when my American clients, it's, it's a done deal kind of thing, but really outsource the meals. If you can freeze as much as you can, like once you hit 20 weeks pregnant, have one dinner a week where you double the recipe and then freeze half of it. So that by the time you hit 40 weeks, you have 20 dinners, you know, and you could do that. If you have a huge freezer, you could do two dinners a week, yeah. um, but that is going to be the best thing that you can do for yourself. And then outsource meals for other friends and family too. Um, have a meal train for you. Um, you know, if you have a dog, ask them to walk the dog. Um, if you have other children, ask them to come in and help with the, ch with the older children. Um, really, we want the mother to stay in bed as long as she wants to. Um, I always say mental health over any kind of rule. And I'm doing that in air quotes because I think there's that whole, we talked about it earlier, those first 40 days and how you have to stay indoors and everything. Um, if by day 10, you're going crazy and you're having severe anxiety from being inside, mental health, go outside, take a walk. Like mental health trumps everything. Um, and that's always such a good reminder for moms because, you know, and then there's that, there's that one 
that saying that's like 10 days in the bed, no, five days in the bed, five days on the bed, five days around the bed, mental health first. If all of a sudden day two, you want to be around the bed, do it. You know, you don't have to stay in the bed for five days. I think sometimes we like, like these rules and then we want to try to adhere to them. And then when it doesn't work, work out, we beat ourselves up. Um, so we want a support system that um, respects our mental health and our emotional health. I, um, you know, when we talk about support, it's not just uh, meals at the door. It's instrumental support. So that is like a babysitter or a cleaner that comes or a postpartum doula. Um, It's emotional support. So I always say, have someone outside of your partner, like who else do you have for emotional support? Um, Your partner, of course, is number one, but you need, it's nice to have at least two outside of that. Um, Who can you reach out to? That's not going to gaslight your experience or be like, oh, I know your birth was really hard, but you know, you and baby are healthy. That's not the kind of friend that you need in your life. Um, You want that friend to be like, tell me more. What can I do? Um, Can I come over and support you in any way? Um, And I always tell my clients, um, you want the friend, the emotional support that you want in your postpartum is that friend that's going to text you and ask you how you're doing instead of asking for a picture of the baby. (laughs) Those are the people that you want in your life for your emotional support. Um, And it's okay if your mom or your best friend doesn't fall in that category. Um, Who else can be in that emotional support? And then informational support, you know, and that is just educating ourselves through books or courses or social media. I mean, it's such a great platform to learn. Um, Those are the different kind of what I have as layers of support. Mm -hmm. Um, It was so well said. And I'm I'm so grateful you gave permission to the mental health piece because mm -hmm. that's really just, again, speaking to listen to your gut and your intuition will tell you if, yeah, you need to go sit in the sun or, or whatever you may need. Um, rather than abiding by something logically, you feel like you have to. Yeah. Yeah. I had a a friend who gave birth last year and I checked in with her like day 10 and it was like the middle of summer, July. We don't have air conditioning here. So we have to get out of our homes. And she was like, well, I didn't want to tell you because, you know, you do postpartum work, but it's just so hot and it's such a beautiful day. And I just had to go sit in the garden. And I was like, Of course, like, you know, just because I'm a postpartum doula, like I I don't adhere to that rule that you have to be indoors. I was like mental health first. And she was like, yeah, that's what I chose, you know? And it was just kind of like, if you go into your postpartum telling all your friends and family, like I'm going to stay indoors for 40 days and you break that, it's okay. Everything is okay. Whatever happens, like, you know, my husband, when we went into the first, you know, before our first baby, he was like, we don't need a pram. And I was like, are you crazy? Of course we need a pram. And he's like, he's like, no, we don't need one. And he had all these like really strict or like unrealistic expectations, I call them, but like really strict kind of like ideas of how he thought we'd be as parents. And then once we had our daughter, I mean, we joke, but we have like four prams now, you know? Um, and he's just, he's just like, wow, you just, it's, it's such a humbling experience. Um, and you just constantly have to be like tuning into your baby and your own needs in the postpartum because your needs in the postpartum are different than what you thought your needs would be when you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
powerful reminders for everybody mm-hmm. listening. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to add one more thing to when you were talking about the support piece, um, mm-hmm. because I've been to a couple baby blessings or mama mm-hmm. blessings here locally. Mm-hmm. And some of them have had women like write on little cards, how they're available to support the mama. And mm-hmm. initially I thought that was a sweet idea. And then I realized these beautiful women had their babies and like, none of us ever got texted to be like, Hey, can you come do this for me? And I was like, mm, that's interesting. I think a mm-hmm. lot of women struggle to really ask where they'd feel weird being like, Hey, Kelsey, can you come do my dishes today? Yeah. And so I saw a mama friend of mine recently utilize a website. Um, I think it's called give in kind, but mm-hmm. essentially every day, you can sign up for something to do to support her. So you can Mm. take her dog on a walk. You could bring her dinner. You could come offer some body work, but they're really simple little things, but it allows people then to just sign up who have that link. And I was like, I think that's That's a really good tool. Yeah. Because then it's more like, if you want to support me, here's what I need. And you're not having to be the one, you know, who's already sleep deprived and tired being Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, who can come hold the baby so I can take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. It's an emotional roller coaster for, for some. Um, and it's just an intense period and so, you know, I love that idea of those little cards, but it's like that mom's going to have all those cards and then she's going to be like, I can't, I can't message, you know, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's such a beautiful day and, and meal train actually has that option. And I did that for a client of mine, um, is I set up her meal train. Cause she was like, I can't ask family. And I was like, I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> so I set up her meal train and in the meal train, I put in, um, options for people to drop out food options for people to come clean her home and options for her. I asked her, what are the three most important things for you? And she said, food, childcare, and cleaning of the home. And I put them on her meal train. Mm-hmm. And you know what? <laughs> people signed up. The, the slots to clean her home were taken before the food. I was shocked. Wow. Yeah, I was shocked. But people wanted, and, I, and you know what? The people that came to clean were all mothers themselves because they knew. Like, yeah. you only know until you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I think that's a, that's a really great website. Um, and I want I'd love to, I just want to touch upon like mother blessings or even baby showers. And I like to compare it to like, you know, we're sending with these, you know, let's do talk about baby showers where baby showers, they're getting a tons of onesies and then they're getting like a diaper tower or whatever. And that's the equivalent of sending a mother in like a rescue boat or like a you know, with no life vest, but with like lipstick and a purse and she's on stormy seas, <laughs> you know, and we're not giving her the tools. We're not being like, you know, here's the life vest for when shit hits the fan. Sorry. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but you know, here's the life vest so that when you're having a hard day, here's my number and I'm going to come immediately, but we're mm-hmm. giving her a lipstick, which is the onesie. <laughs> what is she going to do with 30 onesies? You know, it's like, it's so hot right now here. Like my baby doesn't even wear clothes. Um, and so we need, and I, and I love, and I, I've heard I, mother blessings and all that hasn't, compl- hasn't fully made it into the mainstream here. Um, but a lot of them, I think also focus on the birth and just kind of like writing affirmations for the mother as she enters birth. And I think that's really beautiful as well, but like maybe even doing a mother blessing where like everyone comes and you cook a dish 
and you start filling the mom's freezer, like that could be part of the, the gathering. Um, or it could be you bring a frozen meal that she can pop right into her freezer. Um, but we've got to start giving the moms the life vests, the, the, you know, the flashlight, all the things that she can have in her lifeboat to survive this next transition and not send her off with frivolous things that she cannot use when things get hard. So brilliant. That's such a funny metaphor. (laughs) Here's all this random stuff, which it's, you know, applicable and usable, but yeah, is it really what she needs needs? No. Yeah. And I think also when we're giving moms these diaper towers and, and onesies, we're telling her, this is all you need. And if you ever feel you need anything more than that, then you're failing. You know, if you ever feel like you're having a hard day, like you're failing and that's not true. And so when we fill a mom's freezer and she's having a hard day, she's like, wow, I don't have to cook a dinner tonight. This just saved me. But whenever I open a drawer, I never think that like one of the millions of onesies I have is saving my day. Um, And so we need to be giving mothers through a mother blessing or just acts of kindness, you know, like that, I think that was what you said the website was, um, the, the, the branch or the, the rope for them to be like, Hey, I've got you. I know what you need to go into this really, you know, new, exciting adventure you have. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about all this. It's <laughs> because this is applicable. If you are the one that will be having a child or if you know someone that's going to be getting pregnant. You can also be the person that is setting this stuff up for them. That is trying to kind of go above and beyond to really support this mama. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and those are the best, best messages that I get are when people are like, wow, after reading your information, my friends and I went in on uh, postpartum massages for my friend instead of baby clothes, you know? (laughs) And those are the messages that I just love hearing. Um, are the people that are supporting a new mother and how they're, we're all just going to spend the money on something. So let's do it, you know, on something that the mother actually needs. Um, Yeah. So I think there's just, there's just a huge opportunity to empower the support people because that's how we empower the mom. So she feels capable and, um, and just resilient in mm-hmm. her motherhood role. Beautiful. Well, the last thing I have to ask you are just some quick popcorn style questions that I polled people on Instagram and just said, mm. you know, if you could ask a postpartum expert anything, what would you ask them? So mm. I think I've got six here. Right. Um, so the first one was what meals are great in the postpartum window? Yeah. Uh, soups and stews, those first couple of weeks until you have your first regular bowel movement, keep food as soft as possible. Um, that is, that is the number one thing. So, um, soft, soft foods, so soups, stews, broth, um, stewed fruits, porridge, all of those things. Those are, I would say that's like the first two weeks, um, beyond that. Um, right now I'm three months postpartum and I'm still filling my freezer. Uh, it's like, you know, breakfast burritos and lentil stews and all those things. So, um, but I would definitely, 
um, do soups and stews for mamas. And that just sounds so yummy and nourishing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like cooked rice and bone broth. It's incredible with like Mm -hmm. an egg on, I mean, it's just, it's so good and nourishing and, and, and she'll feel that in her bones, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. Amazing. Uh, What do you wish all women knew about postpartum depression and ways to prevent it? First, what I wish they would know would know is that it will pass. And ways to prevent it. Um, set yourself up with support. Like get your support. And even if you have the support, you might have some hard days that feel like depression, or you just might get postpartum depression, you know. Um, I think there's a lot of studies right now. I know these are popcorn style, but I'm just going to quickly say it. There's a lot of studies right now that show that your attachment style has a huge impact on um, postpartum depression and anxiety and if you're going to have it or not. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes it's not preventable, but it will pass. Um, Have your postpartum resource list. And on that list, have a a postpartum therapist, have, have the people, like if you go in that direction, you know who to call and you're not sitting at 2am Googling someone. And all of a sudden the first person that comes up is the Google ad, the person that's paid the most for the Google ad. Um, Ask your community, who's the best therapist, who's, you know, have all those. And if you never have to call these people, amazing. And if you do have to call these people, help is on the way. Okay. Love that. Uh, next. And I, I want to, sorry, I want to, no. I want to add real quick, sorry, that I think also um, eating a nutrient dense diet, your omega threes, it's going to, studies have shown omega three is a huge impact. So if your fishes and, you know, chia seeds, all that is a huge impact on your brain health. Um, and having your emotional support. I talk a lot about the oxytocin list, the joy list. So when you do have those hard days, um, what are the things that are going to boost your oxytocin? Um, write out that list. Um, so all of these things can kind of help, but like completely preventing it. I mean, between 11 and 25% of women will get it. Um, okay. But there are small things that you can do. So just focus on like brain health and your support system. Yeah. Okay. Love that. <laughs> what are your thoughts on padsicles? Some people say it's contraindicated, you know, to use like a cold mm-hmm. pad on your mm-hmm your vagina right after birth, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, in my training, my teacher was super against it and was just like, you do not use it. It, you you do not put ice and, um, it's so popular right now. Um, I'm of the position because there's women that swear by it. Um, for me, And my postpartum and right after birth, you know, and I had tears and I had to get stitches, something cold really didn't sound good for me personally. Um, And heat felt really nice. So I always sat in a sits bath. Um, I'm of the mind, what works for you? What works for you and your body? You know your body best. I wouldn't use padsicles past um, three days postpartum. I would Mm. start, I would go back. I would go to heat then afterwards. Um, Mm. But if some, and, you know, at most I would say, don't use it, you know, 
if you can't use it longer than 24 hours, great, but no more than three days. But I heat is always going to feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not as easy because there's not many, <laughs> you can't like, you have to go prepare a sits bath while pads you can just like whip out of the freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is controversial. And this is where I'm kind of more nuanced. And I'm really, I let my client choose what she feels best. She's not going to complete, you know, of course, unless you have a patsicle on you for literally 24 hours and you keep taking a new one out of the freezer, you might have some tissue damage. Um, but if you have it for like 20 minutes, you know, once a day, I'm sure it's going to be fine. And it's really Mm -hmm. up to you. Okay. I'm probably going to get some trolls. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not happy about my answer. (laughs) You could say anything on this podcast and someone will be like, oh my gosh. I know. know. (laughs) Um, Is there a range on how long until our period comes back? Mm. No, I mean, if you're not breastfeeding, you can expect to get it within uh, six to eight weeks after you give birth. Um, If you are fully breastfeeding, you can get it whenever someone, you know, everyone talks about, oh, it's the best birth control. And, you know, once you start breastfeeding, then you'll get your period back. I exclusively breastfed. I breastfed my daughter until she was two years old. And she, of course, she had solids after six months, but I breastfed until two years old. I got my period at six months postpartum. Mm. Um, So there's really no normal. It's really what your body is doing. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long should one wait to go on walks if they had a tear? Oh, it depends the degree to the tear. You know, there's uh, it goes from one to four. Um, if you have a fourth degree, I'd, I'd probably want to wait a little bit. Um, but I had one and two degree tears and go for a walk. I mean, I went for like a 10 minute walk after a week. Um, and it, it, again, it's how your body feels. I think that's the thing is like in our, in our postpartum, we want all these, um, these rules and these um, guidelines. And it's always coming back to, well, how's your body feel? where are you in your postpartum? Like not what the books say or not what your friend or your sister had as her postpartum experience, but like, what's your experience right now? Um, And if you don't feel ready at 10 days postpartum or 15 days postpartum to go for a walk, then you don't go for a walk. And if you feel ready at five days postpartum, you do that. Um, I think I'd be more concerned about uterine prolapses going for a walk too soon than a tear. Mm, Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's like being too active too soon in your postpartum. We're talking about prolapses. Okay. I think most prolapses happen later in the postpartum than like from birth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then one more, any Mm. tools or support if a mama is scared about her, how her body may have changed through pregnancy and then birth. Not only does your body look and feel different, your bones, like you've literally expanded, like your hips have widened. You can't, you know, when people are like are exercising and working out and can't accept, you know, it's like you can't make those bones go smaller again. Um, 
you've changed bone deep. So tools and tips, your body is a miracle and it created a miracle and just telling yourself that every day and that, and maybe actually the best tool I can say is just buy yourself a new wardrobe. Don't try to squeeze into your old clothes <laughs> because then you'll never be happy. You'll give yourself the biggest freedom to just buy clothes that fit your, your, your new body. Um, yeah. And just, you know, and I think that's also, I want to role model to my daughters. I have two girls now and I am, you know, it's summertime now and I'm soft and I want to role model to my daughters that I'm supposed to be soft after I've given birth and I'm supposed to have kind of a, that awkward body stage until I start working out again or whatever. And I want to role model that to them that I love my body at all its stages um, and that it's not pre-pregnant body and then post-pregnant body. It's, I'm going to have 10 different body figures this next year. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. going to change a lot. And just like think, and I think not only role modeling that to our daughters, but also to our sons so that, cause your son will one day maybe be a husband and for him to, you know, look at his wife and be like, I've never thought, you know, I'm, I've never thought your body is more beautiful than now. And that could be when she's 10 mm. days postpartum. Well, so really role, model <laughs> yeah, role modeling that to our, our children, because one day they will be, she will be a mom and he will be a husband. And how do we want them to, what words do we want them to use? Because that's, mm. that's ultimately uh, our actions and how we, how my self-talk becomes my daughter's language and what mm -hmm. words she uses in her future. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I don't really know if that's a tip or a tool or a trick. But oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's really beautiful. That. And uh, like you said, that's the initiation into motherhood is like, part of it is learning to be mindful of what you say, because what you say mm -hmm. they will take on as beliefs. And it starts with something as simple as that are we like oh god I've got this fupa you know mm -hmm. or a little a little pudge thing going mm -hmm. on or are we like wow I freaking grew a baby that's yeah, amazing exactly. mm -hmm. and you know and just like if you see picture if you're postpartum right now and it's summertime and you're see a picture of yourself and it's not flattering and your child is there or even your child's not there just get in the habit of you know, I, that's what I'm doing right now. And especially because my daughter's really into like taking pictures and everything. And, and she'll show me the picture and I'll be like, Oh my God, in my head, I'm like, that is the worst photo ever. And I'll look at it and I'm like, I'm going to find something I like, I'm going to find. And I was like, I love my blue shirt, you know? And she's hearing that instead mm -hmm. of me being like, Oh God, I, I, I don't like that picture. Mommy's mommy's tummy's a little strange. You know, she's, she's hearing me say at least something that I like about myself. Um, and so get into the habit of this summer, if you, if you're seeing photos of yourself or whatever, and you're in front of your children, just say something as silly as that. It's like, wow, I love the blue shirt on me today. Or mm -hmm. wow, those shoes look awesome on me. <laughs> you know, if you can't say anything nice about your body yet, then say something about the clothes you're wearing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. beautiful. And Hey, maybe <laughs> we'll even train ourselves to to, you know, see beyond what we may right yeah. now think is an imperfection and learn how yeah. to admire 
the other 90%, you know, that's, that is beautiful and perfect as it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This conversation makes me feel so nourished and Mm. has given me more practical tools and support to ensure that my postpartum feels really good for me. And I'm so grateful you help women do this regularly. This is literally your job is helping them have a beautiful, nourishing postpartum. So I'd love for you to share where people can connect with you. And if there's any offering you have. Yeah, well, um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Kelsey Ludvigson, and I'm also, I have a website, but I'm, and I hate to say this to uh, an American audience, but I'm on maternity leave until next year. Um, So I don't have any like, uh, you know, paid offerings this year because I legally can't make an income. Um, But I do have some free offerings and I have a five day free, like mini course on postpartum planning. I'm like, what? things that you could start with and that's completely free and it's in my bio link. And then I also have a, is it a six? It's a four week postpartum meal plan. And that's free as well with links to recipes for like breakfast, lunch, and dinner for Monday through Friday. Um, and that, that was a really fun, uh, thing to me, for me to create in my pregnancy and I used it in my postpartum. So I have those two free offerings for people. And then next year, um, in 2023, I'll be opening my calendar again. And I will say this, I have not, I'm in the works, but I am creating my own kind of postpartum training. So for those who want to, um, educate and support and love on new moms, then, um, it'll be an online training that you can find through me next year. Yay. How exciting. And so good. You're leading by example taking all Mm -hmm. your time with your sweet babies. Yep. We love that. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. It's been such an honor to have you here. And for everyone listening, I hope you loved this episode. If you gained something or you know someone in your life needs to hear this, please share it with them and you can tag us both on Instagram. And we'll see all of you here on the Cyclical Podcast next week. Thank you so much for tuning into the Cyclical Podcast today. The best way you can support the show is by rating and reviewing the Cyclical Podcast on iTunes. It also means so much when you share this on Instagram and tag me. It helps me see what episodes really, really resonated and just keep the goodness coming. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll see you here next week.